0: Everyone, welcome to the Corridor Cast. My name is Ren, and today we have a very special guest by the name of Tom Scott from the YouTube channel Tom Scott. He likes to wear red shirts and talk about things you might not know. For instance, in today's podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff, like his experiences flying with the Royal Air Force and changing gravity to what AI has in store for us, futurology, all that stuff, whether we should be scared or not. Yeah, lots of other things like being a pirate. Stay tuned and let's get to it.
1: Hello Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you very much for having me.
0: Yes, I'm really excited to have you here. We actually recently hung out just a couple weeks ago at ThinkerCon in yes. Alabama.
1: Yeah, Destin from Smarter Everyday ran uh, ran ThinkerCon and yeah, that was a good place to hang out for a while. That was a lot of fun. Was that your first time in Alabama? First time in Alabama um you know, I think I might have been through it. I might have been through a little bit of it before. Yeah. Does Alabama have a coastline? Is it that? Far? Yes, it does. Then, then, yes, I have on on a road trip between Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Orlando, Florida. Okay. We literally we skipped through. We did the whole thing in twelve hours. So at some wow. point, all right. This is this is unnecessary fluff you can cut, frankly. But there you go. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. So I used to live in Louisiana, and we would drive over to Pensacola. And that would mean that I would drive through Alabama. I think we went through Birmingham, but I'd never actually spent time in Alabama yeah. before. I was surprised. Huntsville I liked it is quite strange. A bit.
1: Huntsville is strange because it's Rocket City. It's, yeah. it's where all the rocket engineers for NASA ended up. So it's this little island of science and technology in the middle of Alabama, which does I, I haven't seen the rest of Alabama. It doesn't have the best reputation no, for science I mean, and technology. It, it has a reputation in general for a reason.
0: Uh, <laughs> and I can't neither confirm or deny any of those uh (laughs) reputations but yeah no i was uh really surprised by how just scientific everything was in huntsville like you show up and all of a sudden you see this giant rocket just standing like this monolith in the sky that you could pretty much see from anywhere and that was the first time i'd ever seen a saturn V rocket that's the the rocket that took us to the moon
1: yeah and just driving through because I I went from there to a couple other places. If you if you just drive through, you just find yourself on this massive aerospace science park where yeah, just companies with very dramatic logos with a lot of arrowheads in them. <laughs> just kind of all over the place. It's like okay, they are they are developing rockets here.
0: So did you did you enjoy ThinkerCon? You think oh, you'll go back next year yeah. if it's a if it happens thing again, again?
1: I will absolutely go back because because yeah. uh, obviously there was a there was a public event and then there was space for. The folks who were invited, like yourself. Yeah, there's and me. like
0: what, like a couple hundred people that yeah. were invited a couple days ahead there was, of time. There was
1: space for us to hang out and that was
0: wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I ended there was one night we were hanging out and uh we were hanging out with Mark Rober and uh and Diana from Physics, Physics Girl, Girl came yes. over and was like facetiming someone else. And I just <laughs> like I had to just take a step back. A step back. I was seated, uh seated and so I just took a, a step back and I just took a photo of that. I was like, this is great. Like all my favorite people in one place. <laughs> Yeah, no, ThinkerCon was really cool. Did, do you think you learned anything from like some of the sessions that we did?
1: I think so, yeah. There, I think there, so, there was, too. <laughs> there, was of, uh, there was a lot of cross-talk. I mean, what you had to make sure was that the folks who did YouTube didn't take over the conversation. Yeah, like, I think one of the sessions I was in, we had to ban the word algorithm.
0: Really? Because, okay. Because
1: half of the folks there are YouTubers, but the other half are, are authors or librarians yeah. or uh, like anyone putting out something in any medium. And so the YouTubers had a tendency to to froth, like we just talk about our work and our and everything else yeah. to the exclusion of the folks whose whose lives are not dependent on an <laughs> algorithm. Yeah, their, I think we did like... a
0: we both did a session on like growing an audience, and it was like half like you said half the audience that they they do podcasts, they write blogs, and they're mm-hmm. like we don't care about your strategies for how to gain an audience through YouTube. So we ended up just splitting the whole group into two two groups. But yeah, uh, I, I took a lot of inspiration from that trip and. I'm going to apply that going forward into a lot of our videos. <laughs> but yeah, so speaking on videos, you've been around on YouTube for quite some time. Oh 06, I joined. 06? Oh
1: six? Oh six, yeah. That's,
0: that's actually the same year I created my own personal YouTube channel, but I didn't even treat it as like a content creation platform for like five years no, or so. No,
1: exactly the same. I ignored all that advice about uh, growing subscribers and getting regular content. It was just cool. They're going to host the video projects I make for free. Yes. Great. <laughs> Lovely. I don't have to worry about bandwidth. I don't have to worry about transcoding or anything like that. It just works. But I wasn't doing anything on the platform. I was just using them as a video host. Right, yeah. And it wasn't until many years later that i finally start a series on there. So, oh, that's what I should have been doing all along. Okay, fine. So one of your earliest videos, in fact, it was probably one of your
0: first videos to really blow up, was... Two drums and a cymbal. Where you <laughs> basically went to a cliff and you threw off two drums and a cymbal. It's an old joke, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't. I've never actually heard the origin of that. So that's a joke, or is that an actual there, there like, myth? An old,
1: there is no old joke. Two drums and a cymbal fall off a cliff. Ba-dum-psh. Thank you. I was hoping I was hoping you were going to time that right, <laughs> but never mind. Um, uh, yeah, it, as anything like that, I was still a student. Well, I was still at university anyway, um, and I would regularly just have conversations in the pub. With friends, and these ideas would come up, and at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just throwing ideas at the internet for anything that we could come up with and see what worked. And this was such a such a ridiculous idea. It's just like, so a cliff near here? I don't know. Like we didn't have smartphones. So it's like right, yeah. I don't know. I'll look at that when I get back from the pub. <laughs> um, found a cliff. Bought a kids drum uh, a kids drum set off uh, eBay. Mm-hmm. Went out to the cliff, threw them off. Take three, made the noise. Yeah, that's that crazy. Was, that so that was it wasn't your first take, but it wasn't faked either. It was not faked. But if you look back at that video, you can see just how much I was not playing into the YouTube style there. Okay, it was. It's got credits for God's sake, <laughs> because because that's what we instead did of then. instead of pushing to subscribe, you push
0: to uh, it a was, website. It was, yeah, like TomScott.com. Yeah,
1: <laughs> because that's where I was hosting everything. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even now I still miss the old kind of freer internet like the idea that that you would have a blog and you would have something that you controlled on your website that you were paying for and that i recognize why that's not sustainable in the modern era i recognize that that is not that it is not reasonable to ask loads of people to learn html in order to publish (laughs) things onto the internet um but i do miss that idea that you are the host of your own content
0: and there's a lot of you know uh there's a lot of reasoning behind doing that. I know that's uh, Rooster Teeth is probably the most famous model these yeah. days because they host everything on their own website. They also have stuff on YouTube and all the other social media platforms, but like they they ha- they're really strong into like you know don't have your breadbasket
1: yeah be only YouTube which or is whatever. a fantastic idea. And, I mean, for crying out loud, they've, they've been going for how long? I remember them doing Red versus Blue. Oh, yeah, I mean, they've been a going long... since 2002, 2003, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, back then you had to host through something like that. You exactly. had to run it yourself. Yeah. So if you've got that started up, you might as well keep using it. But, you know, when, the, <laughs> when you can host it yourself and have to pay for the bandwidth versus having YouTube host it, handle everything for you, and give you a cut of the ad revenue...
0: Yeah, it's it's not a difficult decision. Yeah,
1: it's it's way more
0: efficient and easy that way. I mean, I'm pretty sure our whole platform is like pretty much just YouTube. Well, now with this podcast, we got we've got other <laughs> audio platforms as well.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I, I genuinely thought you were going into an ad read. Then I genuinely <laughs> thought you were looking to look down the barrel of the camera and just seamlessly segue into into an ad read. But I no. feel
0: like I do that enough. So <laughs> no, I wasn't doing that here. We we're not we're not big enough for ads just yet. Yeah. Um. So going back to some of the videos that you've made, uh, you also did a video that I wanted to talk about, which was the McCulloch effect. You, there's oh, an image yeah.
1: that you said will ruin your brain. I, I mean, th- like if you want like the early clickbait, because I I don't like that video. Really? It was one of the f- it was one of the first things I did in the the things you might not know series that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And when I was starting out with that, it was literally just. Here's some things I remember. I'll do a bit of research to make sure they're they're roughly okay. Right. And I'll go somewhere and I'll film it into my phone held out like that. And I would do that video so differently now. I would actually go to someone who is a neurologist who understands the effects. I would uh, demonstrate it in a different way. I would not film it in Disney World because that's where it happened to be with friends when, but, when that so, was starting. So to preface, like what
0: that video is, there everyone's familiar with, like oh, here's this like red and uh, orange or blue uh, image, and you stare at it for like 15 seconds, and you look away, and suddenly you're seeing the in- inverse of those colors. On a wall or wherever you're looking, it's like burned into your brain. But this was a specific image of like vertical black and red bars or horizontal black and blue bars that if you actually stare at it long enough for like 15 minutes, I think you said. It's something like it'll that. It'll stick yeah. with your brain. Like it'll actually stick with how you're, yeah. yeah.
1: And if you do text editing for a living, uh, because it, it's on on horizontal bars, I think, uh, rather than vertical. But it, um, so text is horizontal black bars if it's a bit fuzzy. So you may start to see the same fringes on that. If you Whoa. work with video editing, it's really bad to look at that image. And, and like the angle I went with it was this is like the old don't stick beans up your nose thing. If you tell a kid, yeah. don't stick beans up your nose, then you've just introduced this wonderful new idea <laughs> that sticking beans up your nose is a thing that is possible in the world. It wasn't until you said that this could affect
0: you for up to like three months yeah. that I realized I'm not going to look at this, and because yeah. I, I hadn't really been looking at it, but I was I was considering like just staring yeah. at it and see if it would work. But then you said it'll mess with your brain for three months. I, I specifically avoided my eye as much as I could. Like
1: I need I should be referencing neurologists. I should be referencing the papers that this worked on uh, that they worked on. I should ideally be talking to them and getting their opinion on this. But I was just starting out, and at that point, it's it's me just talking. <laughs> And I still in do Disneyland. Video, so I still do videos like that and they're still a lot of fun but anything that is about something I'm not qualified in I make sure that I hand over or at least reference the work of right someone who actually does know what they're talking about
0: Well I feel like that's kind of become the standard in educational content these days is to make sure you you fact check your stuff there's like actual educational integrity in what you're saying hopefully yeah <laughs> <laughs> And but like that was several years ago when you made that and so You've grown five years now, six has it? years. Wow, it's, it's,
1: it's been a long
0: time, and I, I feel like a lot of like not just you in particular, but like the whole platform I think has grown uh, to kind of acknowledge and accept there's a certain level that like there's a bar that we're setting as creators for for accuracy and there integrity. Is,
1: but an algorithm can't determine truth and it can't determine whether something is actually high quality. Like, I could absolutely produce a video that was plausible. But completely false. Okay, and unless you checked, and and then you know manage the comments to make sure no one called it out, and that would be okay. We saw this with. Um, I'm going to mispronounce this. <laughs> Bring it on, Kurz You know that oh, yeah, German yes. channel that C- does C- animation. Cursed is
0: that? Cursed Sure, Cursed? let's go with yes. that.
1: <laughs> um, they, they amazing did, channel. They oh, it's lovely. They did a video recently on uh, what would happen if you detonated a nuclear bomb in the Marianas Trench, deepest spot in the ocean. Yeah. And their conclusion is, not much. <laughs> you would kill a few fish, uh, you would create a big bubble at the surface, mm-hmm. but other than that, not
0: much is it's gonna not happen- Like it's going to crack the Marianas Trench in half or anything like no, that, but, cause a huge tsunami.
1: Right, but they are they never actually mention it explicitly, but they are calling out a video... From a clickbait channel oh. that basically said all that uh a year or so earlier, and which has millions and millions of views on what is uh I think what Carl Sagan would call baloney. Really? It's it's just not it's it's wrong. It's not even uh plausibly wrong. It's not even you misunderstood what was going on here. It's just wrong and So it's, straight up a lie at it, that point. I don't wanna so lie is a very loaded. Because term. It, it
0: like insinuates like
1: uh intention, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's certainly someone who has not done any fact-checking. Uh, and while they're not calling that out explicitly, it's it's replace the search terms for that. But that video was getting recommended because people kept clicking on it. And it was incredibly well-produced, so they watched to the end. And I think there's certainly a requirement among the folks who are explicitly doing educational stuff in, in the space that, that I'm in and that you're in with uh, your big videos about SpaceX and size of size of the solar system, everything yeah. like that. Yeah. We fact check, but that's not a requirement for getting popular. Right. That is, it
0: is a scary thing because it's like we, we're all we all understand that we're kind of just self-regulating here, but because you don't have to, some some person just chasing the algorithm trends doesn't
1: care about. And let's be honest, that's true with ancient aliens. That's true. <laughs> with The load of stuff that's on television as well. It, it's not a unique problem to YouTube. Mm hmm. But it is one that is, it can very easily become a problem. And it can very easily be served to folks who won't know that it's just a bit of a laugh. Although, again, true with ancient aliens.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's becoming a real issue these days with misinformation and whatnot. It's so easy to share misinformation and it's so much harder to correct that. I so- mean, I,
1: I, hell, I come from the UK and we have a lot of tabloid journalism. Like, the there, there is fairly often a correction that you'll see uh, from something that was on the front page of one of the tabloids, and the correction is just in tiny print inside the magazine because that's what they're required to do. No one clicks on corrections, or yeah. no one picks up papers with, <laughs> based
0: on a correction. Like, oh, they corrected something? i got to find out. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, there was that, that whole reproducibility scandal in psychology, I think, last year, I oh, will say. Reproducibility? Yeah. Uh, some researchers just trying to reproduce other papers they just took the exact methodology that another researcher had done and repeated the experiment and a lot of the times it didn't work not to that significance
0: interesting
1: now how much of that is uh luck how much of that is uh what what you call p hacking picking the significant results i don't know but there is a, a lot of science out there that is built on shaky ground as well so it's not unique to us it's not unique to creators and all we can ever do is hope That uh, that it becomes okay. That that, the the good stuff rises to the top. Yeah. So,
0: Tom, you speak very eloquently, and your (laughs) dictation is fantastic.
1: And it turns out you have a degree. Someone is going to patent you because you said dictation and not diction.
0: Oh, dang! Yeah, you're. you're, I mean, someone's dictating. I'm I'm just going to get ahead of the comments.
1: There, that's just.
0: (laughs) You're right, diction. So you have a degree in linguistics.
1: Yeah. uh, because that's, that's, that's
0: really fascinating to me. I I don't really know what that all entails. So No,
1: it's basically the study of everything to do with language apart from what people make with it. So it's not the study of of literature and and Shakespeare and everything like that. It's a study of everything from how your vocal tract makes sounds to how your brain parses sentences. So it's everything to do with language apart from the results of it.
0: Now does that go into like phonetics as well like like how words are pronounced, how certain
1: I, um, Parts of words are pronounced. <laughs> I uh, did not study phonetics past the first year. It was one of the basic foundation modules. Okay. Uh, I am really bad at what they call production. So one of the, the tests in phonetics is that they will put the symbol uh, for a, a particular sound up. Okay. And in an exam like this, you have to make that sound, <laughs> and that includes sounds that are not from the language you speak. So um, there is a difference in some languages between p and P. And I'm going to do that again, and I, I'm going to apologize to the tech crew here because I'm going to lean in close to the mic. It's the difference between p- and p-. And if you hear that okay. that aspiration that was on the second one... Yeah. So it's it's just a p- noise, just a p with no air coming out, and p- where you're really kind of exploding air, that's the extreme difference. And there are lots of languages where that... Uh, and there are lots of languages where those are distinct sounds. Uh, yeah, okay.
0: In I know in Vietnamese... Uh, Vietnamese is very much so It'll be the same word Same spelling But with all the uh, as- Symbols I don't know what Tonal It's a tonal language Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a word uh, And I, I will always fail To pronounce it correctly But there's three different ways To pronounce it It's like Mung Mun And mung Good luck <laughs> I know I'm I'm, sh- I'm certain that is wrong But it basically translates to I think Like New
1: Salt And mosquito Wow Yeah And there are equivalent things In English as well So, uh, speakers of East Asian languages often have trouble uh, with R's and L's and distinguishing them. Okay. uh, In English, and that's because those are effectively the same sound, or they're not distinguished in same in the same way that "p" and "p" aren't over here. Um, Okay. So, actually, right. So, this is an entire video I did years ago. So, I did a series on linguistics. It was the thing I was actually qualified to talk about. (laughs) Um, How do you make a a sound for like the R in around? Like, what does your what does your mouth actually do? When you say around. It goes, it
0: goes out, like so,
1: around. So the bits inside, the two normal ways of doing that are either you take your tongue and you put it near the top, like the alveolar ridge, which is the bit just behind your teeth there. Okay. Uh, and it's like an L. So it's around uh. and around. Or you can do it like a V, like a loose V, a around, around. <laughs> so this is where we zoom in close on your face as you try and work out how you make that R sound. Around, al- around is it around. top teeth bottom lip or is it tongue and the ridge behind your teeth Ar- when i say when
0: i'm pronouncing that r my tongue is actually kind of back in my mouth kind of like sitting low and back Ar- around
1: okay what do you, what do you ta- is it close oh. to a v is it close to an l v- it's closer to a v right so that is technically a speech defect what are you calling me defective? It's the same one I've got, and it's the <laughs> same one that uh, maybe... Some, I mean, no one's done, as far as I know, the research on this. I haven't checked in the last few years, so maybe this has been updated. But that is now somewhere between a quarter and a half, maybe even more, of English speakers our age. And if you go two generations back, that was a defect. That is Elma Fudd. Elma Fudd saying, is going to catch that wabbit? That's that defect. Really? That's It's top teeth, bottom lip. It's that... He's not saying wabbit. He's saying rabbit. He's just missing uh, there. Whoa, okay. And that speech defect has just become standard now. So we're all kind of like Elmer Fudd now? So this is one of the things you get taught. The very, thing, the very first thing that gets drilled into you in linguistics is that actually I shouldn't use the term defect. I'm using it because it's an easier thing to say here. Okay. It is non-standard speech. You never make value judgments on something like that. You can say it's standard or non-standard. Okay. But you never say that one way of speaking is correct and the other is wrong. So right. defect is, is perhaps a, the wrong term to use, but it is certainly a non-standard way of speaking, except suddenly, out of nowhere in the last half century, it's normal and everyone's okay with it. And huh. as far as I know, no one has worked out why this has happened because it's not something you'd notice. That's crazy.
0: I never knew that. Thank you for teaching me <laughs> something new
1: today. This, that is a video. Like, I've just badly repeated an old video I did like six years ago, but sure, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> So yeah, I, I did linguistics, uh, I also did educational studies, uh, which was a research degree, uh, uh, research uh, master's degree, and then I uh, decided that I wanted to get the heck out of university uh, after many years, far too many years, and uh, ended up doing this. There were a lot of other things in between, mind. So when you first started making
0: videos, was that like something you wanted to do? I know you said that you were kind of just spitballing and throwing a lot of stuff at the internet, seeing what you wanted to do, but video production specifically was that something that you're like you know what I know how to use a camera I'm I'm good at talking in front of a camera no
1: I I learned those things because I needed to have I mean I I think it's something I'd have always been attracted towards I think oh if you if you have all those various things that could have pulled me towards them and could have taken me on that path yeah this was certainly going to be one of the attractors that I could have been orbiting around but uh, I learned it because I wanted to there was a project that needed video I guess i got to learn how to edit now. And that was when I was like 16, 17. It never actually made it out to the internet. But it's like, okay, that's, that's something I've got to learn now. I, you know, okay, I'm, I, five years later, oh, I guess I need to do another thing with video. All right, let's do that. Oh, we had this idea. Well, that would work as a video. All right, dig those skills out. But at the same time, I was chucking out images and text and anything in any format because the alternative was not doing. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, you've made it this far. You're one of the top uh, educators on YouTube right now. Man, that's a strange thing to say. It's, it's been it has been literally 15 years of throwing stuff at the internet before something <laughs> before before getting there. Like it's it's a slow path to get there. But ne- there are exceptions. But basically, everyone who looks like an overnight success has been doing this for so long that uh... there's usually a lot of hard work involved in luck. But yeah.
0: So to transition a little bit.
1: <laughs> um. No, you're absolutely right, though. Um, you, there is a lot of... Hard, like, it's the difference between rolling one dice and hoping that it comes up a six versus rolling a hundred dice on one of those and knowing that something's going to work. The more ideas you chuck out, the more different things, the, the better the chance you have of rolling a six.
0: I always tell people who are trying to get into like making videos, I just tell them just... Do it. Yeah, you know, trying... like the throw the Nike slogan at their face. Like, just do it. Make stuff. Don't worry about how good it is. Just make it and move on to the next one. Just like, all right, now you've done that. Stop fret, fretting over this video. Move on to the next video and just keep
1: doing it over and over and over again. I remember someone I cannot remember who saying that your first hundred videos are going to suck. <laughs> one hundred. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Just just deal with it. They're going to suck. You're going to hate them afterwards. But you need to put the time in. With with rare, very rare exceptions, you need to put the time in, and you see this with with the folks who did have that one hit very early on. Um, the the kid from David After Dentist, if you remember that, yeah, he huh. has a, he has a gaming channel now.
0: He does, yeah. It's Wait,
1: the kid or the dad? The kid. <laughs> He's yeah. got a couple hundred subscribers because they weren't interested in him; they were interested in that one video right, being yeah. bundled up into everything else.
0: Yeah, because that was a huge viral hit, and. In- you, you see that a lot these days with people who h- will have some sort of like viral thing happen. Maybe it's not a video, but some sort of thing happens, and they just try to capitalize on that as long as they can. Which I can't judge. I'm like, hey, yeah. you're given an opportunity, and you're just like trying to. Make I'm, no, I'm to never it as you gonna. Can.
1: I'm never gonna say anything bad about someone's hustle. Like, great, yeah. go for it. But you got to know that they're interested in the thing you were in, and not you. Yeah. And trying to manage the boundaries between that is often a, a difficult thing to do.
0: Speaking of difficult things.
1: <laughs> you have done
0: some difficult things Oh, in that, was the air. <laughs> that was smooth. That was smooth. I, I was about to say, you've done some really cool things, then I realized cool and difficult. Anyway, you've, you've flown in fighter jets. You've gone in the yeah. Vomit Comet. You've, done, you've been in a centrifuge. All these things, haven't come And all of that
1: is more or less in the past year, like past year, past 15 months. That's crazy. I hate roller coasters. To this day, I still hate roller coasters roller coasters
0: so which came first the the flight the centrifuge or the
1: zero g zero g zero g came first yeah so just as as background uh there is a video of me many many years ago on what is called a robo coaster
0: a robo there
1: are a couple of these in the world i think there's one or two in the u.s i know legoland in europe has one in the netherlands and there is one on on a seaside pier in england somewhere i don't know if it's still there it is a industrial grade robot arm Okay, okay with yeah. two seats on the end of it they haven't Jeez. bothered to theme it they haven't bothered to make it uh, they haven't bothered to put a superhero's name or anything on that it's called a robo coaster it is a robot arm with two seats on it would you like a go, give us some money, here you go and you what, just get on and just start what se- spinning what setting would you like it on <laughs> like setting one for kids it will just up and just sort of steadily take them on a nice general. setting five it will swing you around like you've been grabbed by the Hulk that's awesome. And I went on that uh, because it was a stupid idea that was being thrown out. I attached a couple of GoPros to it, um, and this was way before I was doing like educational stuff. And I discovered that was okay. It was unpleasant because it was high G forces, mm-hmm. but for some reason I was okay with it. But like, put me on Pirates of the Caribbean at uh, Disney, which has like a tiny log flume drop. It's not. It's hardly anything. No, I don't like it. And it's it's specifically that that combination of psychologically knowing you're suddenly dropping, and the actual feeling that you get when you when you go over a, a humpback bridge or something like that yeah, in a yeah. car, where you get that that specific swift transition to a drop. Yeah, I really really hate that feeling.
0: So that that transition,
1: yeah, where, and where I, you're and suddenly I hate, falling. I, I, yeah, and I hate the nerves that lead up to it, which of course make it worse because everything's pulling in. Uh, like psychologically, that's that's something that's really really difficult for me. And, like, the European Space Agency emailed me out of nowhere. I mean, it wasn't out of nowhere. I, I did something uh, with one of their facilities six months earlier, but I hadn't gone through ESA. I'd gone through the local uh, university. Okay. And apparently the folks at ESA went, oh, he should have gone through us. Why, why, did, why has he not gone through us? We emailed him. We never emailed him. And apparently I was on their list of folks to contact and had been for a while, and oh, they wow. just not got around to it. So I got this email that said, uh, liked your video on, it, it was called a drop tower. And it's not for human use, but it's basically a giant slingshot in a 100 metre or so tall tower, and the sample uh, gets about nine seconds of freefall, because you get four and a half going up, four okay. and a half coming back down, wow. yeah. and then it smashes into a pit of polystyrene beads, mm-hmm. and it's it, take, it stops at about 22 Gs, so definitely not for oh, human gosh. use, Yeah, but if you want nine seconds of freefall and zero G relatively cheaply... you. Put the sample in there. You evacuate all the air from the tower. Poof, poof. Great, it works. I went there, filmed that, and then he's sort of like, "We've got loads of facilities like that, and you know, we might be able to put you on a zero g flight."
0: Cool. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm
1: not going to turn it down. I, uh, um, I, you know, it's, it's entirely possible. I'm, I might, you know, I, I might not be able to do it. But and then next meeting, they're just like, "So we've we've put you in for this flight on this date." am like, <laughs> "Okay, it's this is real. It's right. moving forward." And it was genuinely possible for me that I was going to completely freak out. I have not been on anything like that in years. I've not been on roller coasters in years because I know I don't like them. I've never liked them since I was a kid. I hate that feeling of of dropping. Mm-hmm. And it was a very real possibility. As I, as I go into that, it was a very real possibility that I would freak out. Uh, my worst case scenario was I was literally panic and lose bladder control. Like that's... And that was within the realm of possibility. <laughs> and then I'm sat there, and we we do the pull-up into 2.2 Gs. It's like, okay, it's fine, uh, it's fine, it's fine. And we, st- it just feels normal. Really? It does not feel like you're going over a humpback bridge, despite the fact that effectively you're going over the biggest humpback bridge in the world. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that. And I think that's because it's a slow transition. I think that's because you go kind of 2.2 Gs, and at no point does the floor drop out from under you. It just steadily eases away. So if they were to
0: suddenly dive way quicker than they normally do, you'd probably get a little bit more of that dropping sensation. Honestly, I
1: felt worse when we had a bit of turbulence after takeoff and the plane was going Uh up and down than I did at any point during the free fall.
0: That's crazy. So
1: Honestly, if and I realize that this is an incredibly uh, privileged position to be in. Um, (laughs) If you can afford... The the four or five thousand because I got it through research it was it was a research flight it was uh, just mm-hmm. it was a gift um, if you can afford four or five grand or however much it costs uh, to do that in Vegas yeah. or in Orlando on, on one of the big uh, zero G Corp flights do it it is unlike anything else it is it is like a dream of flying I want to do it again but cannot justify spending that kind of money on it so uh,
0: a part that I think a lot of people don't ever really realize when it comes to doing a flight like that is you're actually undergoing a lot of gravity on your way up. Yeah, and on the pull-out. Cause,
1: because at the end of it, oh, that's the right, plane is yeah. accelerating towards the ground. So to stop you hitting <laughs> the ground, they have to pull 2.2 on the way out. So that means you're you're over twice as heavy when, when
0: you're going through those segments. And I always... I've I've never really experienced like a sustained 2G like downwards force before. And so I I've always wanted to feel like how heavy are my arms. Oh but yeah. But you mentioned I remember you mentioning something that was crazy, which was you get instant nausea when you
1: move your head. Yep. under those situations. Don't move your head. All the, the stuff in your inner ear that works out how that is when you move your head, it moves differently. And apparently in zero G, that's okay. We can deal with that. Everything's floating. 2.2, your brain just Cannot deal with it. And it's just like, nope, you're instantly nauseous. I'm reading this book
0: series called The Expanse. Yeah. And in that, it's, it's a sci-fi series where they're, you know, flying across the solar system and they've got these thrusters that are able to just constantly put out a lot of thrust. Usually they just sit at like 1G so they can have like normal gravity in their tower of a spaceship. But anytime they're having to do high G maneuvers or anything like that, they have to sit in these special chairs. Okay, makes sense. But they get injected with tons of drugs to counteract all the nausea. And I just remember thinking,
1: well, oh, I, is it I got, really that I big of injected. a deal? Like, how do you get... I got, I got scopolamine, which is the good anti-nausea drug. And because it was a European Space Agency flight, it was proper injectable prescribed by a doctor. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm, for me, and I don't know if this was true for other people, it, it removed the ability to vomit, but not the desire. Oh, that sounds. I don't, <laughs> that, that, it also removed all moisture from. So I, you just I had heart heart or cotton mouth. Yeah, uh, like the first drop, there's this ah noise I make, and it it ruined my throat for days afterwards. Oh gosh! But uh, but I'm trying to do a bit to camera. Like this is <laughs> this is what happens in all this stuff that I've done in the last year. Um, a lot of folks have have done things like this, and I like I like doing one take videos. I like mm-hmm. trying to make sure I can get a script out under uh strange circumstances. I think the most recent one was wing walking, uh, which is where you are uh you know those old biplanes with two two yeah, wings. And uh,
0: they walk out into the wing, hold on to like a
1: Yeah, I mean the, the commercial version these days is that you are strapped into the top of the wing. It's basically okay. it's basically a standing seat if that makes sense. Yeah. On top of the top wing. Um yeah. Like 120 mile an hour wind, piece to camera. I, I try and <laughs> do this because it's it's a skill I seem to have been able to do, uh-huh. and it's mostly showing off. But it's a lot of fun to be able to be not just talking on the ground about this is what I did, but no, I am in the moment right now, and I am going to try and get this and describe it to you while I'm doing it. You did that when you were flying in that fighter jet, what was yeah the the, the Hawk T one Hawk T one which
0: uh, which this is the Royal Air Force Red Arrows. Of-
1: uh, so, so yeah, the Royal Air Force have the Red Arrows display team. So that's like the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds for the for the US. Uh, I think it's one from Canada, France. There are a couple of other countries that have them. Mm-hmm. But their job is make us look good. Their job. <laughs> they are not just the best of the best in terms of pilots, but they're also the pilots that get on with each other. For the Red Arrows, you have to be selected by the existing Red Arrows because. Right. You, are you have def- to have a rapport. You're flying you know, <laughs> yeah. inches from each other. You're, you're depending on each other for your life. And um, that, was, that was a big deal. Um, and I think for a lot of folks watching that outside the UK, the Red Arrows are a symbol of Britain. They are really something that, that is an icon of, of the country. Mm-hmm. And you, this is not something that they offer. This was out. This was the. This wasn't even a, a dream come true because unless you are that sort of kid who dreams of becoming a fighter pilot and, and I had those like that, as a kid, yeah, yeah, then then maybe, but you can't do that as a civilian. Yeah, you can't pay for that because you, that's, you can't that's pay not the an you option. <laughs> you can't pay the military to do things because that is a coup. Um, <laughs> and just being able to to be up there is. So, like, I, I, am, I'm worried that maybe the peak of my life.
0: I was going to say, on a scale of one to ten, how much fun was that? Is that like, was that an eleven?
1: After takeoff, it's a ten. But again, don't like roller coasters, don't like G forces, and I'm going in a fighter jet. <laughs> yeah, this is this and is exactly the same problem. <laughs> so I've done some, I've done a glider before, I've done a, a couple of things like that, and like, I, okay, I don't know how this is going to be. And we take off in formation. Oh, we take off with... Oh my. with oh, yeah.
0: That's so cool. That's so cool. I know, cool. right? I,
1: oh. And it felt like a regular airplane takeoff. Which really? Was okay. ju- it was just it was, it was a bit faster, maybe. But it was like, okay, oh, we're off the ground now. Oh, but we're in a tiny plane. Why are we not being battered around by the... Oh, we're in a jet. The air just gets out of the way. Yeah. Which, yeah. It, again, it didn't feel like dropping at any point, so I was fine. We pulled some high G maneuvers Mm-hmm. Um, we pulled a loop, which was maybe three, four. Also, I'm wearing G trousers, which, the ones that like squeeze your legs. Yeah, they are literally connected to a compressed airport in the plane, and when the plane detects that it's going into two G or something like that, you're, in, you're basically wrapped in a lower body tourniquet. Yeah, so all the blood stays up here. And now, do you have to do your breathing
0: uh, procedures on top of that? They or? did.
1: They did not give it. We. <laughs> they did not do any maneuvers that would put civilians above their comfort zone okay um so what are the uh what the, the best possible the nicknames for the pilots you know how top gun has maverick and, yeah uh, okay goose which is so, uh-huh. It's like maverick the call signs right F- yeah fighter pilot call signs are, are nicknames are meant to be badass so uh bogeye was one of the ones uh who was flying with us bogeye Bo- no b-o-g Bog-Eye. bogeye it turns out that the british pilot call signs and nicknames are not Quite as cool as Top Gun, it's great. <laughs> um, but the the folks were like one of them. Except I, I talked to the pilots beforehand. One says, "Yeah, so I pulled about nine G in a manoeuvre the other day. Like you can still see the burst blood vessels." Oh gosh. Okay, right. That's like we're not putting you through anything like that. But, but we had to have a safety brief. Yeah. Like we had a half hour safety briefing beforehand. That's all. Yeah, I'm saying we because I wasn't the only one. Going, there were there were a couple of us. Okay. Um. No. Half of it was to do with, the, like, half of it was don't touch anything, except for these specific things we need you to ch- touch to make sure your chair is in. Mm-hmm. Don't touch anything. Unless you have to, in which case, here is how to use your ejector seat. Oh, God. <laughs> and um, so this is actually uh, slightly darker to talk about now, because a couple of weeks after that video went out, uh, they had a crash. They, they lost one of the engineers, um, which... One of, the, one of the pilots. So uh, no, so it's a two seater plane, and when, oh, when yes. they are transiting mm-hmm. between locations, they take there is one engineer per plane, and they will travel in the plane with them. Yeah, and there was an incident on takeoff. I haven't seen the accident report. I don't know if it's come out yet, but they they lost a plane, and one of the engineers didn't eject in time. It's yeah, this Oof. this is not something that civilians get to do often for a reason, mm-hmm. and this was a serious half hour briefing that. Um, I don't know if this was the exact words, but the the phrasing was essentially if you see your pilot leave the plane, you need to follow. Um, If your pilot is incapacitated, uh, you should eject. You cannot fly this plane, and by the time you realize you can't fly this plane, it will be too late to eject. By the way, when you eject, you will be unconscious, and you will wake up in pain either under a parachute or on the ground. What kind of G-forces do you undergo when you do eject? A lot. Just, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the numbers are, but it basically... You're um, just peaking. You're just like above the threshold
0: of just passing out. Yeah.
1: Um, the, the rumor is, and I don't know if this is true, that pilots are only allowed to eject a couple of times in their career because uh, it can break your spine. Oh, yeah. Um, well. If you are too... Uh, like there were, If I was a few inches taller, I would not have been allowed to fly mm-hmm. uh, because uh, their words, not all of you will leave the plane. Um. <laughs> you're, if you're too th- these fighter jets are designed for a specific body type. Yeah. If you are too tall in the leg, uh, then because you the first thing it will do is is pull your knees in and pull your legs behind the seat. So if you uh, if you are too tall, it will do that and then it will eject and your knees will get removed on the way out.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, if you are too light, uh, then too you, light, you can't eject because the, they can't calibrate the rockets that fire you that oh, low. God. And the G force will break your spine on exit.
0: This yeah, is, that makes sense. This that is makes sense. serious
1: military equipment, and it was a, a really serious thing to go through. And uh, and like we get up there, I'm a pilot. Yeah, you know, once we're out of formation, we're doing. A, and they've literally they've put five minutes in here to show off. I like, we're going to do a <laughs> loop. We're going to surf through the top of the clouds. We, this is great, but at the same time, this is serious. And if something goes wrong, this is not built to civilian standards. It's built to military standards, and we need to be ready for that. Something that you mentioned earlier is like
0: you you like to do these one takes and when you're up in that jet you did that you were actually given a whole monologue about uh, I don't know if you had a script prepared ahead of time. Oh,
1: yeah. That, I um, always have a script prepared ahead of time. You'll notice a lot of cuts in that video. So there is only one camera with me in the plane. Yes.
0: And it was the GoPro Fusion, right? Yes.
1: Because you've done a lot of stuff with 360 yeah. as well. So you know yeah. some of the difficulties and some of the I tricks. I remember seeing happen.
0: the shadow of the Fusion. I was like, oh, I know what that camera is. So yeah. you were using that brilliantly for getting shots of you, but also getting any other shots, like forward to the side, so, all at the same time.
1: I, I'm glad I went with that. It was the right decision, but I was really worried about it. We could not... And I say we because it was me, uh, the film crew, everyone around it. We were not allowed to attach anything to the interior of the plane. Everything had to be handheld. Uh, and it, So I can tell if something's starting to break or if my hand's starting to get tired and I can put the thing away. And that's fine. If the GoPro mount is starting to get tired from 3G, 4G manoeuvres... yeah. And it comes off at a bad time and hits a button, then we're dead. Uh, that, and that's not exaggeration. yeah uh, that's that's like it gets stuck somehow and accidentally triggers the ejector seat. That's a possibility. So nothing mounted to the plane. It has been done before uh, by the BBC many years ago, but mm-hmm. apparently they had a custom built mount that was rated for one flight. a whole team oh gosh so if we we don't
0: like a huge factor of safety involved too like this is not coming off and even with that (laughs) so only rated for so i have a
1: fusion on a stick and i'm trying to (laughs) hold it steady in 3 and 4g maneuvers and still do the bit to camera and still get all the other shots and it worked because we didn't have a second take on this we didn't have a second attempt yeah and yeah it It looked really good too like it wasn't until the end of the video (laughs) that i realized there's a 360 camera because it just
0: looks like a gopro yeah like it you know, good co- color quality, good resolution. Uh, I was surprised. Yes, I was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I have got to do a lot of really cool stuff this year. Um, and partly that's because, you know, privileged position, spent a long time working to be here. Partly it's contacts and partly it's because I've been doing this stuff for long enough that I seem to be trusted to do this now. Yeah. And I know it can't nice. last forever. You know, if, we, if we're talking about creative process and we're talking about long-term stuff here, I know this can't last forever. There isn't... that It is a very rare thing in the world to be a part of a band or part of a television show or part of anything that can survive past that, like, that, that first few years if you're lucky right. of interest. So how you move that onto other stuff is a big deal. If, if this is the peak for me, then it's a really, really good peak. Um, <laughs> I just need to prepare for whatever's next.
0: So when you're in that centrifuge, which is the thing that simulates just high G maneuvers and yeah. just a lot of gravity, you, uh, did you ever get any amount of motion sickness from that? Because that's, no. that's what I would be afraid of. Because you're in this thing, yeah, it simulates a lot of high gravity, but you're also spinning in a circle. I would be afraid that I'd get car sick.
1: No, I don't think it was long enough to do that. My eye line was kind of stuck on the camera again in that one. Mm-hmm. But then I, I passed out. So, you know, that <laughs> was... What, what were the highest Gs you took in that? Embarrassingly, 3.6, which 3.6, is not okay. much. Uh, the RAF uh, engineer who went in to demonstrate it for their channel uh, pulled. I think he managed six point five, and he's wearing g trousers for that and doing the straining manoeuvres. and Everything, and he doesn't. He doesn't look like he's having a good time. Um, <laughs> but he survived it, and it, you know, it's fine. That's what he does. I passed out at three point six with breathing manoeuvres, which essentially means I failed astronaut selection. Oh, which wow. is okay. like I always knew somewhere deep down I'm not going to be an astronaut. Right? Like growing up as a kid. I was not particularly athletic. I didn't want to go in for the fighter pilot or anything like that. Um, My eyes are... uh, I'm so short-sighted that I can barely see my hand in front of my face if I'm not wearing contacts. (laughs) Um, I knew that, in theory, I'd always fail astronaut selection. But then I actually failed astronaut selection, and And it turns out that's a really brutal thing to find out. (laughs) It really is.
0: Uh, Astronauts who go through that selection, is there a certain amount of Gs that they have to stay away from. Yeah, it's, it's more
1: than 3.6. And do you know how many it is? Is it like five? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I think it's somewhere around four or five. Okay. Um, it, you also it is mentioned certainly...
0: that that was like the the highest amount that they would put a civilian through.
1: Yeah, uh, no, 4.5 is the maximum they'll put a civilian through.
0: But you passed out at 3.6. Yeah, I did. So the moment you pass out, <laughs> they they take the Gs the out. Moment
1: they hit the, the E stop, the, the moment.
0: Now, something that I also know about uh, G-Forces is that, so that was axially downwards yeah through I, that spine, was eyes down away from yeah. yeah eyes down is that what it's called yeah interesting versus like high acceleration down a track high acceleration eyes in g in. Yeah. so there's eyes down and eyes in yeah okay i didn't know that that phrasing <laughs> before now eyes in you can handle way higher g-forces
1: than yeah. eyes down the V, 5 the, the one we were talking about earlier the astronauts mm-hmm. are lying down at the top of it so i think that is eyes in G force. Yes, it should be, yes. which is a deliberate choice. Yeah, right. And that's because uh, the blood is it's moving in you, but it's still everywhere. Eyes down G force is difficult because the blood pools in your feet and goes away from your brain. Right. Do you know because that there's that guy who did that track where he accelerated really
0: fast and yeah. then decelerated. There's, there's been really a few fast. of those. Yeah, he was going
1: like what, like twenty five Gs. And it's. Uh, the thing is that accelerating people is the difficult part. Like, if you want high Gs on uh, on acceleration, you need loads of rockets, you need loads of everything. High Gs on deceleration, you just need a wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, just jump off a bridge.
1: Yeah, like, that's, you'll, that's you'll get really low Gs. Uh, so you'll get really high Gs when you hit the ground, yeah. Um, what they actually used was a, a scoop in the front of the rocket sled. So mm-hmm. it just kind of went through a water trough and slowed them down a little more gradually. But that's still, like, 20-something Gs briefly. And, yeah, human body can take that briefly.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so crazy. So when you're when you're in the, the centrifuge, did you try, like, lifting your hands? Did it feel oh, yeah. like you just were holding weights on your yeah, arms? Yeah,
1: it's... I mean, at the same point, my brain is starting to lose blood. So I'm sort of going, yeah, it's fine. My vision's graying out a bit, though. Is, is this normal? Is this... And there's a medical officer in the middle of the centrifuge uh, that is... Who's is, also spinning. Yeah, so this is about to get decommissioned. This is the last of the, the old RAF training centrifuges that were built, I want to say 1950s? 40s or 50s I think, and it's built like it, you're sitting in what looks like a cockpit from them it's all mechanical um there are computers managing it now and CCTV cameras in it, but it's it's essentially just been retrofitted in. It's a big mechanical spinny slingshot uh the new one that they are about to open uh, is a full motion simulator so it's got si- oh. three-axis motion simulator on a centrifuge arm that's cool and it can okay. I think it can go from zero to nine G's in a second. <gasps> which is what, a, which is what a fighter jet can do. So it's not just training pilots to withstand this. Now it's literally we're going to put you in a cockpit of a fighter jet, and so, it, and you're going to pull back on that stick, and you are, boom, you're going four G's now. Dang! And that's a much better that, and more accurate test.
0: Something that you mentioned, and this is, um, I, I think this falls in line with like basically uh, calculus, right? And that's the derivatives of you go from distance. To speed, to acceleration, and uh, you know, yeah. speed is the change of distance and acceleration is the change of speed. And jerk. And then jerk yes. is the change of acceleration. You could be accelerating at a constant rate of acceleration, even though your speed is rapidly increasing. Yeah, but if you were to
1: increase the rate of acceleration change, now that is increasing the amount of jerk. So this is like you talking about the expanse. It's the difference between one G kicking in because the thrust goes boom. <clears throat> And everyone is, who is floating there suddenly goes, all right, we're on the ground now. Yeah. Versus what I did in the zero G thing of going, all right, 0.2, 0.5, one, and I'm back on the ground. Okay. And it's, it's a tricky thing to get your head around, but it does make a, a big difference to, to how you feel. And because I remember when I first discovered that when I was
0: taking calculus, like that was, that was the coolest thing to me is that this is all just, it's all, it's all just math. And, but I didn't realize that these had names beyond jerk. And what were those names? It's
1: <laughs> Is it uh, so,
0: Snap, Crackle, and
1: Pop? Yeah, which is a reference that is not going to land for Americans. Really? Uh, do, th- do those words we mean ha- anything to you? We have Rice Krispies. Okay, they do land. Oh, I thought that was just a British thing. Is it? Okay, yeah. I don't
0: know. Because uh, I grew up with Rice Krispies, a, a very good cereal, and you pour like yeah, yeah, milk yeah. in it, and it starts like, kind of That was the advertising slogan yeah, so snap, I thought crackle that was just pop. a
1: British thing. Okay. Man, my my American references are uh, are not as up to date as they should be.
0: (laughs) But I, so I remember you mentioning that, you know, crackle and pop are are just such high level derivatives that there's almost no use for them. Yeah. But
1: it's cool nonetheless. (laughs) The trouble is that the the units you're also talking about there are so small as to be meaningless. When you've got meters per second, per second, per second, per second, (laughs) it's it's not a helpful thing. (laughs) <laughs> it's like knowing the hundredth digits of pi it's great it's not going to help you actually do stuff right okay whereas jerk you also mentioned jerk isn't really heavily researched yeah i think that was more me hunting for a conclusion to a video but sure because
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you can't really research jerk without also researching acceleration yeah they they tie in very
1: closely But hey, they've now got the the RAF centrifuge that will will have that high jerk capacity that will take you from zero to 9G that quickly. So maybe they can now. You have another
0: video series online now that deals with super intelligence, AI, futurology, stuff like that. But your take on it is very bleak very depressing in a weird way so it's not like the terminator style of ai takes over everything but it's also not the glorious we are now basically living in heaven on earth sort of way you're going down a depressingly realistic seeming outcome
1: with your idea of the future of
0: artificial intelligence
1: so my problem is that i cannot write characters and i cannot write dialogue um, I am. Which, which, let's be honest, I'm not. There are plenty of auth- published authors who can't do that, but um, I don't. I'm sure that given you know ten years of learning it, I could I could maybe do it. But I I have never been able. i never put the hours in to be able to write convincing characters. Okay. So the sci fi stuff that I and I used to do sci fi back before I was doing the kind of factual stuff that I'm doing now. Like mm-hmm. there's a long history of me doing one off videos uh, about sci fi stuff, which are often kind of singularity AI stuff back then um, but a lot of folks particularly because it gets compared to Black Mirror because obviously everything that is vaguely, it used to be compared to the Twilight Zone now it's compared to Black Mirror um, yeah. I don't know, Jordan Peele's now rebooting the tri- the Twilight Zone so maybe that'll That's uh, right, yeah. yeah, maybe it'll go back to that but uh, they're all dramas, they are all something from this kind of third person perspective where you have actors and you have direction and you clearly have a narrative whereas because that's not my skill i just kind of cut all that out and just boil it down to the minimum idea and then put it so that it is uh, everything is diegetic everything that you see in the video is something that you would see for that product pitch or that story or that ted talk or whatever yeah and for me that's it's both an easier way to write and a quicker way to write Um, I don't need to worry that that my characters are convincing or have uh, emotional arcs or anything like that. I can just say, here's an idea. And that's kind of why I read science fiction as well.
0: well. No, absolutely. But that's what I like about those videos that you've made is that it presents these interesting ideas without any side, like, or distractions. So, for instance, the Welcome to Life video you made several
1: years ago. Yeah, that was before Things You Might Not Know. I think that that was a long, long time ago now.
0: Yeah, and that video just kind of deals with, okay you're able to upload your brain to the servers now. What does that actually mean? People, because we kind of see that now, it's like, oh, you can get your Kindle for cheaper if you allow ads on your Kindle. And it's like, that's sort of like Mindspace I mean, applying that to all uploading I'm doing, your brains.
1: All I'm doing, I say this in the description, is all is taking bits that other science fiction authors have written before me, and putting them in a new context with a slightly new idea on them, and like, that's what most science fiction authors do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the idea of uh, the idea of uploading your brain is an old science fiction idea. Yeah, the idea of a uh, is, um, corporate so sponsored afterlife is um, so the what sponsored afterlife? So the the book is called Everyone in Silico or Silico by uh, it's Jim Monroe. Okay. You're going to have to put a correction on the screen if I haven't got that right. He released it for free under Creative Commons maybe 10 years ago now. Um, and it's a, it's a very different take on it. He can write characters. He can write dialogue. Um, but the idea was that, yeah, there is this digital world you can upload yourself into. But of course there's a monthly fee for it. Mm-hmm. And of course if you can't pay that, uh, that monthly fee, well, it can be advertiser supported. Um, the idea of... of-
0: the thing that really messed with me was that Oh, and you can get the cheaper tier where you are allowing them to kind of alter your your thinking. And yeah, your, and so not necessarily your memories, but th- that
1: was inspired by a Rudy Rucker book called Post Singular, which okay. is, it's really trippy uh, because a lot of the stuff that Rudy Rucker writes is really trippy. Um, and there's just one section near the end, which just mentioned in passing that the the AI controlling the world was just simulating people's consciousness at lower resolution. Just taking away consciousness and creativity because they were just difficult to handle, and for most people, it didn't make much difference. And that's that was that kind of gut punch from that that got translated into, well, yeah, of course that's that's a monthly subscription. Of course that's DLC. Of yeah. some, of course that's something you have to pay for.
0: But you can like actually conform their way of thinking to align with brands.
1: Yeah, that uh, you know, like damn that's, well that's that there me- will be brands that would do that. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing because it's like it feels so like realistic in like well. That's how it kind of works now. So, why wouldn't it work if you extrapolate into the future? I'm like, and this
1: none of this is original. All of this will have been thought of by someone before. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I say this whenever anyone asks about, like, oh, yeah, where'd you get the idea from? Like every other science fiction author out there, Absolutely. I saw something similar and I saw something similar over there and I saw something similar there. And then months later, my brain went, what if we put that with that? Yeah. As I, Oh, of course, yeah, of course they change people's preferences to, make, to, to reflect advertisers. Yeah. I'm, I'm certain that other people will have come up with that independently on the same thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's all, just about, it's all case, about the context. It's just a case of grabbing the ideas you know from wherever and then making it so they're yours. And yeah. I, I realize it's a really fine line between plagiarism and inspiration. And the trick is to always have... Uh, so I, um, I do a panel show. Well, I did a panel show. We just ended it with friends. Right. Uh, called Citation Needed, which is in the style of every other panel show uh, and podcast that has been done over the last... Well, for Britain, for panel shows, it's decades. And I will occasionally get emails from people saying, can we Can we do this? Can, can we take this and do our own version of
0: oh, it? Oh, like asking your permission to kind of copy yeah. your show format. Uh,
1: and my answer is always the same. It's like there's, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that I cannot copyright. But yeah. like in the same way that two people sat in front of microphones having a conversation, yeah. you've got you've got no claim of that whatsoever. Absolutely not. But yeah. this is Corridor's take on it. Mm-hmm. And in the same it's way, the that, context. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want you to take the exact sound effects we're using and the exact words we're using. But I've got no copyright over it. So watch some more shows, take some more ideas, find the thing that no one else has done yet that suits your audience, mm-hmm. and then run with that. Because when television come calling, or when YouTube originals come calling, or when anyone with a budget comes calling. You don't want to have to say, well, actually, I took the idea from these people. Yeah. You want to be able to say (laughs) that, no, yeah, this is my idea. This Mm -hmm. is what I did.
0: For sure. So you also just recently came out with a video kind of expanding on that idea, but in a very different way. So we've all, I mean, at least I've done a lot of reading and and research on like the singularity, which is the the inflection point at which our, our hardware technology has gotten good enough to support the software for a super intelligent general ai and it starts as a, a bit of an evolution where it's like it finally gets i guess self consciousness as smart as a human and then after a certain amount of time it's 10 times smarter and then in a much shorter amount of time, it's a thousand times sm- uh, smarter and, and it, then
1: history becomes unpredictable yeah and yeah not in the sense of like literally not predictable you cannot predict what happens beyond that
0: so this this was your take on the what if like what would happen and it was I, a you, very I,
1: interesting you said earlier it's it's banal futures it's like a, a, a utopia is fun to imagine but terrible for drama. <laughs>
0: um
1: like the, a story set in a utopia uh is wish fulfillment and has no drama isn't that great to watch? It's uh there's a uh I guess I guess a, a book is the right term now. It's it's a collection of short chapters that were posted individually that have now become a book uh called okay. Ra by okay. Sam okay. Hughes. Okay. Freely available online um He's just decided to change the ending of it because he's thought of a better one. Um, (laughs) And there is one section in there that just describes uh, a literal utopia. And it's a lovely thing to read. It's genuinely a a good idea. It's the first time I've I've looked at science fiction world and thought, that sounds nice. (laughs) But then, of course, it has to break and it has to come to an end because people living in a world where everything's right for them is not a good thing for drama. So utopias are crap to write. Dystopias are also not as interesting to write. I feel like they're a little played out. Yeah, Because if you, if you have something that where everything is terrible, for me at least, it's, it's not fun. You have to have characters fighting against this, saying something, oh, this, this is a bad idea and we shouldn't do it. Like, Thing bad has been done so many times by so many people in so many different ways that it feels like everything has been said. Everything's been done but there are a lot of kind of meddling banal futures where <laughs> sure we've got a uh, digital afterlife but it's it's pay-per-view and it's DLC. So uh, sure for for the new one you know we we've got yeah. we have got an artificial super but the goals were set wrong uh and now unfortunately all it's doing is copyright protection. So
0: yeah and if you haven't seen the video I highly recommend <laughs> you go check it out it's really interesting but the premise of it is that basically They create the super intelligence accidentally because they're just trying to create an AI that helps regulate copyright on a video
1: platform. Kind of like how... Which is a stupid idea, but there have been a lot of stupid ideas over the history of technology. Like the idea that some engineer is going to go, can we throw AI at this problem and then use the wrong AI kit that happens by a miracle to work? Yeah. like that's It's implausible. I don't think it's impossible. I, I, I mean, don't worry. You, you you put it forward in such a way that makes it seem like it's inevitable. I am actually fairly sceptical about singularities and everything like that. I think it's far more likely that uh, technology is going to, uh, and certainly kind of computer chips and everything like that, is going to follow uh, the sigmoid curve. I think that's the right okay. term, where it's it's going up really, really strongly and then levels out. Okay, Like, we are now further away from the moon landing than the moon landing was from the Wright brothers. Yes. So we I just recently had, tweeted about we that had it's the a right, mind-blowing fact oh, in that, I probably got it from your Twitter yeah oh. <laughs> uh, but we started on that in you know a century ago and within 50-60 years we had men on the moon but we haven't gone anywhere since then yeah. like we've actually regressed supersonic commercial flight is not a thing and it was never really all that profitable mm-hmm. we reached the, the peak of where we can go with that reasonably until there's another step change and we see that with a lot of stuff we've seen that with uh, trains we've seen that with basically every type of transport. Yeah, And I do think that that might be happening to computers as well. Like we see a step change. We we went from no one owns a mobile phone which, and then to the steady launch of, oh, I guess rich business people to ha- have mobile phones now to, okay, everyone's got a mobile phone now and it's connected to the internet and okay, that's, that's a big change. Mm-hmm. But Twitter's more than 10 years old now. I think Twitter's 11 or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen exponential growth from there. And I do have the sneaking suspicion, based on nothing more than uh, a gut feeling, that AI is going to go the same way, that we have this slow, slow, slow takeoff as people try and build you know, very basic things. We have the Eliza chatbots, everything like that. And we suddenly have a step change of, oh, okay, we can try and brute force it with machine learning. We've got new systems that will let us do, do that. We've got adversarial machine learning. This is great. We've got loads of stuff. We've got, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be, and now it's petered out. And we've, we've got this new technology that will change our lives. But flight didn't become a singularity. We didn't end up with rockets to the moon departing from uh, LAX mm-hmm. twice a day. Uh, phones haven't become like we've we've not got google glass we've not got them embedded in our heads yet i don't think that's going to come for a long long time and my honest suspicion were were you ask me were you to ask me to place money on it would be that we're not going to get a singularity like that which is going to be vaguely disappointing for all the techno nerds out there huh but okay. do i think it's vaguely possible at some point where we should start thinking is this, is this possible then yeah the episode three, which is gonna come out about when this podcast is released. I don't know if it's gonna be day before or day after. Okay. Um episode three is about mind uploading and it is really, really dark. And I don't think this is a possible future. I I think it's a, it's so far off the branches of possibility that so many things would have to go wrong to get there. Uh and all it is, it's it's stuff that Greg Egan has written about uh before, mm-hmm. about uh mind uploading and the rights of copies as as he calls them in Permutation City. Um and whether they count as human. And this is just, it's the Chinese room problem from from many, many years ago, but it's filtered through the lens of YouTube, and it's filtered through the lens of the tropes we have now. But do I think that it's worth thinking about and preparing for, uh, on the long list of, the, like, things we should actually care about, climate change, Absolutely. things we should actually care about, civil rights, they're, uh-huh. they're way up at the top of the list there. Um, but on uh, on list of, you know on list of things to think about, yeah, we should probably just have something in our head so that the folks who are dealing with AI are actually consulting ethicists, are actually thinking, are we playing with fire here? Yeah. They're probably not. Well,
0: it's because what scares me about that is that they could just accidentally create an apocalypse situation. Just I mean, that's, y- yes. A little, because it's not also... exactly what the point of your uh, copyright video, but yeah. th- basically <laughs> this, I, this AI just took the idea of eliminating copyrighted material from the internet to such a huge degree that it started creating trillions of nanobots to invade everyone's bodies to start erasing or altering their memories and then suppressing their desire to find out what what they don't really remember anymore and also to suppress their desire to research into AI more. So then you end up with this one AI kind of controlling the entire planet forever after that. And that just kind of all started as a fluke. It reminds me of this other sort of mind game with AI, which was... They tried to create this program to just print as, or to make as many sheets of paper as possible. Paperclips. It's paperclips, paperclips, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, because then that ends up getting out of control, and then it's, just, it's one prime directive in its entire AI life is to make as many papers as possible to the extinction of humanity in the process.
1: Yeah, because you've, you've given something that is... Mo- uh, that is smarter than a human. A goal that is accidentally incompatible with humans, and the power to do it. Yeah, and there's been so much writing about this over the years that you would hope that anyone working with AI has read it. I, I mean, this goes back to the you know the the stories of genies in bottles. You mm-hmm. know, be careful what you wish for because the genie may not take into consideration all the things that a reasonable human would do. And I don't know how you fix that. I'm not qualified as an AI ethicist or anything like that. <laughs> You know, I've written some science fiction. You would hope that the folks who are doing this, and I know damn well that uh, Google DeepMind, who are based in London, yeah, they've got an ethics team. They've got a lot of folks working for it, but they're also under a lot of non-disclosure agreements and will not talk about what they're working on. And I I think, uh, like, if you ask me to place a bet, all I'm going to say is, it's probably not going to happen. So, how do you feel
0: about, like, say, the fearmongering? Or I don't even know if that—that that sounds a little too intense. But, like, say, Elon Musk is basically cautioning everyone to slow down the AI research. Like, let's, you know, bring in some ethics into all of this and figure out the right way to do this. And then you have other people saying, "No, you're not going to slow me down. I'm going to research this until we get something great." Because at the end of the day, it is a competition between everyone to 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 do whatever they're doing, and they're using AI as a tool, and they're going to keep trying to push the envelope with AI to help them
1: in in their goals of whatever company they're working for. This has been tried with a lot of technologies before, but the trouble is that the bar to entry is so, so much lower for something like this. If you wanted to play about with with nuclear fission, you needed a laboratory and a whole team and someone to sell you some fissile materials. Yeah, that's, that's a hard part. Right there. <laughs> There's a lot of hard parts there. If you want to play about with AI, you download something off the internet and you run it in the cloud. And... Yeah, that's that's clearly not a problem right now, because if it was, this would already have happened. I look at all the folks who are saying that this is the greatest existential threat to humanity, Yeah, and I see their point. I'm not sure if it's calculable. I'm not sure if you can play those odds. I can see why you would put funding towards that. But I'm also aware that there are genuine, current existential threats to humanity like Climate change, and we're not putting nearly enough towards that either. Like humans yeah. are not good at assessing those risks, mm-hmm. so I can see why you'd want everyone to be cautious about it. I, from from my uninformed perspective, I don't think it's likely, but that's an uninformed perspective. Like this, this is where I say go research. You know what yeah. I said at the start? Yeah. Go hand over to the experts. <laughs> I'm not qualified for this. Go hand over to the experts.
0: So, I mean, do you like let's say it is possible to create a super intelligence and then it becomes a thing? That is, that is inherently something that we're not really going to have control over. Other than, you know, people say, well, like can't you just unplug it, like turn it off? But what if, I, I just can't foresee something that smart coming up and just allowing you to just turn it off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... And from there, it's just like, it comes down to luck whether or not they like us or think we're in the way.
1: Yeah, or more likely are completely indifferent to us. Um... Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: We're just ants, like oh, I accidentally stepped on a few ants. No big deal.
1: I think a lot of the conversation is unproductive because it's like ants trying to work out how to control humans or even to understand humans. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a, a concept called the sapience quotient, mm-hmm. which I'm going to mangle here, but uh, but roughly, it's it's the amount of data that uh, that a, a, an organism or a, something can process. Okay, and once you like, we can sort of have. Not a conversation, but we can we can talk to a dog, and it will understand the commands we're giving it, Yeah, and it will sit down when we ask it to, if we've trained it, and maybe it'll be able to help us, uh, you know, we, we can train to help us cross the road if we're visually impaired. We can sort of have a bit of conversation there. Mm-hmm. Um, you go one sapiens quotient further, I think it's a, it's a logarithmic scale, so each each quotient is ten times as much. Okay, yeah, you, yeah. You go one further than that, and you end up with trying to deal with something like a goldfish, where cool, we can put some food, and it will probably come up and get it, and we can put something there to make it a little bit happier. And that's... And then we go one level further, and we're dealing with uh, bacteria, something like yeah. that. There's, there's nothing we can do. We, we, there's, there's nothing a bacteria could tell us or we could tell it. We can Essentially just like a biological can, machine. Yeah, we can examine it in its entirety, understand what it's going to do, and track its evolution and sequence the whole thing. And that's see you steadily go down. And once you're beyond a couple of sapiens quotients, there's just there's no me- there's not even communication possible. It's not just that there's meaningless communication, like you saying, "Oh, aren't, aren't you a cute dog?" It's there's there's no communication even possible. A bacteria cannot even begin to comprehend what humans are doing. Right. So once you start going the other way, it's the same you- thing. We are those ants.
0: We are that bacteria that can't comprehend yeah. the you orders go, of magnitude higher.
1: You go one sapiens quotient further. Great cool, you've got a computer that can start to shepherd us a bit and say, oh, it's nice, to start to plan what we do and organise our lives, which is mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the spoilers, the end of iRobot by Isaac Asimov. Yes. So the last of those short stories is about the machines, which are the, the super intelligences that are, thanks to Asimov's magical three laws, um, just shepherding humanity. Uh, and, okay, that's great. That's one level. Once you get to two and three and four above, there's nothing meaningful there. Um, and if you're going to end up with a superintelligence, I think it's more likely that you're going to end up with something that just doesn't even think about us the same way that we don't think about the bacteria that are crawling over us right now.
0: Right. Yeah. I've I've always kind of bacteria that are crawling over
1: me. I've
0: always because there's the whole like Fermi paradox, right, where it's like you can't. We don't know if there's any other life out there because we've never found it. Yeah. So does it exist? But I've I've thought like chances are if we happen to someday find. Intelligence in the universe somewhere. It's probably not going to be a race of species. It's probably going to be some a single organism controlling an entire planet. And that single organism is like the old or the the super intelligence, the super AI that that whatever host species created. And now it's just running everything and it's talking with all the other singular species. And so you have like a group of these AIs throughout the whole galaxy. And it's like they're just on such a higher plane of existence that
1: just doesn't mean they're not going to be sending out radio signals. Yeah. They're not going to want to attract a probe with ants on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's bleak, isn't it, when you start thinking about this? I, I think it's more. I, I think it's more likely that the next century is going to be a bit better than this one. Like there have always been apocalyptic scenarios. There have always been you know, empires falling. There have been uh, unenlightenments before, where we've lost knowledge. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me to place a bet the next century is going to be like this one but a bit better and only a bit better be, define a bit you compare Fair someone up, to the uh, 19th century to the 20th to the 21st uh yeah each one was a bit better and yeah. yes progress in technology and communication is increasing i would love there to be a step change in everything like if you if you if you ask me what i hope for yeah i hope for one of those utopias to come along it would be like uh, yeah i hope for a magical superintelligence that will cure death and which ends up with the, the star trek future mm-hmm. i mean not even the star trek future cuz they, It's a brief digression like i grew up watching star trek okay um but it's a universe that's fundamentally broken ha- okay because you because there should have been in, in a world where you have uh, a holodeck character which can come alive and be sentient uh, and a ship that can magically become sentient in one of the episodes because the plot needed it. Yeah. If you have a world where they can somehow reverse aging when plot required via transporter, you have a universe that is about to break. You have a universe that has time travel and, and uh, de-aging and everything to do with it. They should have had a singularity 10 years ago in that universe, but it hasn't happened because the plot can't allow it to happen because you have to have 21st century humans just in space. Right, and it's the equivalent of of someone in the 16th century writing about uh, the moon colony. It's great, but they're not going to talk about rog- rocket ships. They're going to talk about whatever their technology was magically displaced there, which yeah. is what Star Trek is. Uh-huh. But it is that kind of future where humanity has become better, where you know, ideally, we are all getting along. Where ideally, th- there is one Earth, and if you look at the the, the good parts of that that future, and if you look at humanity getting past its, its worst qualities. Yeah, that's the sort of utopia I'm, I'm hoping for. Do I think that's actually going to happen? Do you think it'll happen for the rich, at least? <laughs> I don't think that counts as a utopia. Yeah. There's it, a reason that the, the, the phrase magical space communism keeps going around.
0: <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Man, we talked about a lot of stuff. What, yeah. what, is there is there anything we haven't covered? Well, I do want to talk about your red t-shirt. <laughs> now I th- I kind of know the story, but I don't I don't know how many people do. You wear a red T shirt in most of your videos.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of grumpy about it now. Really? Um, but it's a really is it e- time to go through a style change? Change <laughs> oh, up your wardrobe it's a bit. Been, it's been a time to do that for a decade. um But how many honestly, red shirts do you own? Uh, twenty.
0: Twenty. That's all.
1: I they get ordered in bulk every time they start to get okay. a bit raggedy. Oh, <laughs> so, you,
0: so you're cycling through them. Yeah. So it's like this is your one cycle of twenty
1: shirts. I, because it's easy, because yeah. it means I don't have to think about it. Because it's easy for continuity. Because it's also cheap. Um, I could, if if I want to move away from that, I need to order a load of T-shirts that all have something. I need to check on them. That all, that, yeah. That I need to make sure to wear the same one while I'm filming the second version of a video. I know logos um,
0: can be a problem too.
1: Right. Uh, or I could transition into wearing something that actually makes me look like a grown-up. But, you know, let's be honest, I'm going to be that kind of guy in his 30s who decides he's only going to wear plaid from now on or only going to wear check shirts or only going to wear like looks like a lumberjack. Like that's (laughs) when you graduate from looking like a college student, you either have to get a style or you end up just wearing like check shirts for the rest of your life. Um, I I went with looking like a college student. I can live with it. So you've made a lot. Do you know how many videos you've made on your channel? It's above 600 now.
0: But that includes, okay. like,
1: bonus videos, stuff that's unlisted, all stuff like that. But it's it's in the 600s. A
0: couple of videos of yours that I really liked. One was the Hollywood sign. Uh, oh, the, yeah. The whole thing about, like, you blurt out the Hollywood sign because potentially they could <laughs> sue you because you're technically making money off of a YouTube video. The chances of all that happening is really low. Like, for us, for instance, like, we'll go shoot a full-on corridor video that we are definitely going to monetize. The entire backdrop will be the Hollywood sign. Like just hypothetically speaking, obviously, but like we would just do that. But you, the whole point of that video was like, technically,
1: you could get sued for that. And there's all sorts of things about First Amendment rights in the US, uh, fair use in the US, fair dealing in the UK, which which would play against that. One of the things I, I actually found uh, while researching recently is that the US government has the Smoky Bear Act. The, uh, okay, you I know, I know, I know Smoky smoke, Bear, Smoky Bear, uh, which is you know on, only you can prevent uh, wildfires. Only fires. you can prevent. Forest fires. They've yeah. changed it. It's wildfires now. Wild. only they did, you they, can prevent. They've deliberately changed wildfires. it because because some forest fires are good now. Yeah. Wildfires are uncontrolled ones. They've actually changed the changed gotcha. the term of that. Like, gotcha, yeah. Um I think that's a good clarification. So when, when they put uh when they invented Smokey Bear and they, they commissioned it, created it, people started selling rip off Smokey Bear merchandise. But because Smokey Bear is owned by the US government, it's public domain. Because anything created by an employee of the US government is public domain. Okay. So Congress passed the Smokey Bear Act, which says that uh, it is a crime to uh, use Smokey Bear's uh, image or slogan for profit without the government's permission. And that's that's not a, a copyright thing or a trademark thing, it is an actual federal law on the books. In this specific case, for that specific for that one mascot, yeah. Um, And it's got rolled into the full US code now, but it's it's still in there. Uh, And I was going to, oh, you know, I could do the, the, the old Hollywood sign video again. But it turns out that's been challenged because the US has the First Amendment. And any law like that that says that you can't speak in a certain way is always played against the Constitution and always played against, well, is that a fair thing to do? So it's, it's certainly been, I think, ruled as fair that you cannot make unlicensed Smokey Bear merchandise because that's equivalent to a trademark law. Yeah. But if you want to make a video about Smokey Bear, yeah, they'd probably fall on the First Amendment there. Am I going to do the video? No, because I am a UK citizen and the idea of the US government wanting to sue me is frankly terrifying. Yeah. Um, but in theory, like, that's a free idea. Like, take that, someone out there, do that video. Some, someone who is, who is U.S. and does not mind having a legal fight with the U.S. government if it comes to that, go for it. I, I'm going to pass. Before we go, I know
0: you've made so many videos that I would love to keep talking about, but there's <laughs> one aspect of your past and history that is fascinating <laughs> oh, to boy. me.
1: This is worrying because there's a, there's a lot of my past and history that I just, just, just don't like. You... Or a pirate? I was a pretend pirate. A pretend pirate. Big <laughs>
0: clarification there, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> you more... You weren't actually out on the seas robbing people
1: of their booty. That's more than a decade ago now, I think.
0: But what, like, yeah. what, did, what did that mean? What did that entail? Were you just like I, walking around the street like, ran, dressed up as I, a pirate? No,
1: I ran the British <laughs> part of International Talk Like a Pirate Day back when that was a thing. Back when that was a meme before we had the word memes. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when memes were called image macros. Like, that's... That's, I'm still grumpy that the words, change. Anyway, setting that aside, um, <laughs> back back when talk like a pirate day was this hot new thing that people were not really, really, really sick of. And let's be honest, that happened really quickly. Um, I handled the British bit for a while, okay. so I, I was I was Mad Captain Tom. Uh, I, I had a, a ponytail all down my back that became like wild hair when I was in char- pirate as the in character as the pirate, That's and, uh, and I'd be talking like this. Which, which, not be a realistic pirate accent; it'd be a take on someone from a Disney film many years back. But uh... it ruins your throat. It absolutely ruins your throat. But for for years, every British radio station uh, who wanted to do a thing on it uh, would would call me up, and I would go r down the down the microphone <laughs> at them occasionally. And it was fun for a while. And yeah, I mean, I I, I said earlier uh, that I got to the end of university and was ready to to leave. After doing the degrees. And I actually didn't get to leave for a year. Because at that point I had I had already had the character for a while. I had already been doing this. And a friend of mine uh, put uh, my name down to be uh, for the student president elections. And like student union president in, in England, uh, I don't know about Scotland and Wales, but certainly in England uh, is a thing where it is a, a paid job for a year. It's not a well-paid job. But you are essentially the interface between the student body and the university administration. Okay, uh, it's a horrible job. Don't like anyone who's <laughs> young enough to think of going for that. Don't do it. It's a really, really terrible job, and I know that because it backfired. Like I, I, I mean, I realize this in hindsight. I pulled a Donald Trump six <gasps> years early, um, uh, six years early, four years, five years early, something like that. What you mean? Something starting out as a joke, and now you're having to do it. I, I did populism. Uh, like there were two other candidates. Their supporters hated each other. Uh they both got disqualified from I think both of them. I might be libeling one of them terribly here. Certainly one of their supporters like got banned from campaigning uh because they they pulled a trick that wasn't allowed in the in the so rules. They started getting nasty. Um it it was a fairly nasty fight and and like everyone is disillusioned. Everyone. Anyone who was not involved in student politics was was disillusioned with it. And along comes this guy who is talking like no one else, who is not respecting the rules of politics, student politics anyway, Uh who is looking a bit ridiculous, who's just saying, well, this is clearly all rubbish and silly, why are we dealing with it? Who occasionally, because he has done a bit of research, because he has occasionally comes up with lines that actually do resonate accidentally. I didn't mean that. Just to be clear, I was not trying to win. That's not like the the brag of, oh, oh, no, I'm not trying to win. uh, I genuinely was not trying to win, but the ideal result was that I lost by one vote. That would have been really funny. That would have been great, and then it would have been over. But then you won. We had single transferable vote, which means that you rank preferences, or alternative voting, I can't remember which system it was. Yeah, okay, okay. So a lot of people put me first, assuming I was going to lose, and then their choice. A lot of other people voted for their candidate first and then me rather than none of the above and when all the votes were tallied i snuck a narrow victory wow it was (laughs) i i think it was the worst year of my life like never do anything like that um and i and i say uh pulling a donald trump because it, it was it wasn't based on you know his policies let's 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 call them policies with with you know Let's call them his and policies. There's but, lots of asterisks end of that. There, statement. There's there's a lot of sort of load bearing intonation going on there, <laughs> um, but yeah. it was it was certainly not something I intended or wanted to do. Uh, but it was it was policies like uh, a, a cannon on the central university hall just pointed at the uh, the university. Uh, they call them the vice chancellor. I don't know what the equivalent is in the US, um, but the the university admin leaders house which which we managed the the local oh. one of the local theatrical societies provided a prop cannon and we find a flag that said boom out the end of it and that was a great publicity stunt like all the things like hammocks and student union meetings so people could have a doze yeah did that um <laughs> like all of the sort of populist jokes yeah some of them actually worked like we we did some of them yeah um and in terms of actually making people invested in student politics yeah turnout was was a lot higher the next year but I wasn't good at the job. Like, I I blundered my way through it. Okay. I would like to think I didn't have any major scandals over the year, but that's because um, I had a really competent team around me who were working on their own stuff, and we traded a lot of responsibilities. Okay. Like, if I had to go in and argue something, I'm not good at going in and arguing something. So I would be mysteriously unavailable that day, (laughs) and someone who was really good at arguing would go in and do that one. Okay. Um but if it was something about getting students interested in a thing or doing a pr campaign or something like that i i took that so i was very much a figurehead for a long time i uh, at the end of the the cuz student papers love student politics it's all the, the thing but at the end of the year when they had the the power list the top 100 most i was not at the top one of the folks in my team was and that was absolutely the correct call cuz he knew what he was doing yeah. and he did it i was the figurehead and that worked out okay in the end, because student, you, because a university has like a three or four year institutional memory, and there's not actually that much power there anyway. But I nearly turned that down because I didn't want to do it. And yeah, like I've, I've not phrased that uh, that way before, but I basically pulled a Donald Trump several years earlier. So why the hell I didn't see that coming? I don't know. <laughs> well,
0: you've managed to take that and apply it to your own YouTube channel, making videos. Wait, wait, what? How? <laughs> by like being being the figurehead, you got people interested in things. Like you, I feel like you maybe honed your skill of like, oh, people aren't responding to that other thing, but they are responding to this. I will kind of pounce on that, and you kind of like, I feel like you took that mentality and have
1: um, uh, you, you now make very interesting videos. So by doing that, so the student union thing, like when I said I was throwing every idea out there, like I could have turned that down. I also could have turned down the nomination when a friend of mine put it in. I could have said. Ah, uh, no, it's just a prank. It wasn't... Because so, I was, I was at, in a hostel in Latvia when the email came in from the Students' Union <laughs> saying, do you, want like us you tell, do. do you want us to tell the campus press you're running? I have no context for this. But I could have turned that down to any point I didn't because the alternative was not doing it. The, it was an idea that went out and the alternative was not doing it. So, yeah, you're right in some way that, that yeah, that was one more idea and it was one more thing thrown out into the world. I ended up running, uh, because I lost a bet, I ended up running as that same character for actual election to Parliament in the UK. Unfortunately, that one did lose by a spectacular number of votes, and I'm extremely happy with that. Um, but that was just another idea thrown out there. And that's, that's always been the pattern. And this is, what, this is the advice I give anyone on creative stuff. You just keep throwing ideas out there, and hopefully one of them will work. And it might take a year, and it might take a century, and hopefully one of them will work. Just never give up. Yeah, Un- unless you've been throwing the same idea out for 10 years. Like, you've been throwing literally the same idea out for 10 years and you've got nothing back. Well, that's insanity. <laughs> maybe, maybe. like the, the key word is different ideas. The really <laughs> important key word in there is different.
0: Well, Tom, I think that's a good spot to end this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been great. It was really eye-opening for a lot of those <laughs> t- topics that we talked about. Uh, I was really surprised at your take on AI and your skepticism about it all,
1: but I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get the utopia.
0: Well, I I also hope we don't get the 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 crazed. Yeah. you know, <laughs> we, we lose a hundred years worth of pop culture just because an AI decided to erase it from our memories.
1: That's uh, as bad AI scenarios go. That's pretty. It's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Well, Tom. Here's to utopia.
0: Yes, <laughs> utopia. <laughs> And that's it. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. This was a really fun conversation. Big shout out to Tom Scott for coming here and talking with us today. If you're interested in any of the videos that we talked about in today's podcast, you can, of course, look Tom Scott up on YouTube. All of his videos are there. And in the meantime, if you want to stay tuned for the next episode of The Corridor Cast, I'd recommend subscribing on YouTube or subscribing to any audio podcast platform you want online. (laughs) And I'll see you next time. Bye.